Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's good to be with you today in God's house. I was um, thinking about that song in our, our reading that we just heard around God being able to hold all things together and thinking of this idea that we hear in the New Testament around Jesus gathering up all things into himself. And I just occurs to me that today, if you are struggling to hold it all together, um, that is actually, in many respects, an invitation for us to uh, let Jesus do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And yet we live in a, a culture and a world where we feel um, ashamed and disappointed in ourselves when we can't hold it together. And I, I just have a sense in my heart that there are some of you today that are in, in this room right now and you are, um, you are feeling that, um, that sense of finitude, that sense of limitation. Uh, I can't hold it together. And um, I just want to say to you that that's what Jesus has come to do. Uh, that, is, that is what he has come to do is to, to gather up all the parts of your life in, into him if we will invite him to do that. And I did not grow up in a family that knew uh, much about Advent. And maybe you hear Adrian uh, speak of Advent and you think, I, I generally know what that is. There's like a calendar with the chocolates and um, that's many of us, that was the extent of our own understanding of Advent growing up. And yet what Advent has always been is this opportunity for Christians to uh, quiet their hearts and remember what happened at the first coming of Jesus. Uh, the, the first coming of Jesus in Bethlehem uh, happened in a little out of the way place. It happened in a way that very few people saw coming, uh, were even interested to see coming. People who were looking for a savior at the time that Jesus was born who were devout Jews were typically probably looking for someone more impressive. They were looking for a politician or a military hero. They were looking for someone who would help them be free from Roman oppression. And yet Jesus comes in this little out of the way place and most people didn't even see it, didn't even think about it, didn't know that it had happened. Jesus entered into darkness, but he entered into darkness in a way that people did not anticipate. And so today, if you are living in a season of disappointment or darkness, I just want to say this, this is what Advent is about. Um, our culture pushes us towards sentimentality and um, the kind of greeting card theology tell, tells us this should all feel really awesome. And I, I just want to name to you, because maybe it's the elephant in the room, Christmas is hard for a lot of us. Uh, Christmas has always been really hard for me. Um, and... It's because sometimes we maybe feel the dissonance more acutely in seasons where everybody's telling us we should all be really pumped. <laughs> and maybe you're not pumped. Maybe you're in that place right now of thinking like every year this feels elusive to me. That, that is where Advent comes into play. Advent is, um, it's not sentimental. It's actually not a cutesy. Advent is about rehearsing the fact that Jesus comes into our darkness. He did it then and he will do it again. The second coming of Jesus is going to come at a time where the world is in a really dark place. And so today, if you find yourself like bracing for Thanksgiving and beyond, you know, spending money you don't have to hang out with people you don't like all that much, um, it's just a tough time for so many people. And if you're in that space, you're in really good company. If Christmas has been hard for you, you're not alone in that. What Christmas is about, Christmas is as gritty as it gets. Like 
Emmanuel, those are the words on the front of that devotional. Adrian and, and the youth and the kids team did an amazing job. All these devotionals are integrated. So if you've got little people, big people, um, if you've got friends, family, like there's a way to do this season. It's going to take intentionality for us to do this season because it requires focus to believe that God will enter into the darkness in your life, that he's not afraid of it, that he moves toward it. That's what Advent and Christmas is all about. Don't be deceived by glossy, ethereal greeting cards. It was not cute that Jesus was born in a manger. It's because nobody had any room for him. And I look at my own life and I just think, when I don't make room for Jesus, he's born in the manger. When I'm too busy and too cynical and too selfish, and I won't let him into my house, he comes to the barn and he says, I'm coming anyway. And it takes required attention and discipline for me to believe that when I lock the door, he comes to the barn. That's not cute. That's not sentimental. That's like the commitment of a God who says, I'm not afraid of your sin. I'm not afraid of your brokenness. You lock the door, I will come anyway. And it takes time to begin to believe that. It is ta- I am 47 years old. It has taken my whole life to begin to believe that when I lock the door, God comes to the barn. Just imagine how that could reframe this season. Just begin to wonder how that could change things. Our flyers say we're going to look at Psalm 46 I, I chose uh, Psalm 86, actually, so the, the people who made the flyers are not wrong. I, I don't think I'm wrong. I just made a, diff, a choice. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 86, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump into what I think is a really important preparation for Advent. If Advent is what I just told you, then this prayer of David is, is a way that we can begin to wrap our hearts around how to get ready for, for Advent. David says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to the cry of my supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods. O Lord, none, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seeks my life, but they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Hear this, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving maid. Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may 
see it and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember many, many years ago saying that I didn't think that um, you could really teach effectively from the book of Psalms and I'm ashamed to admit that now because I actually find more comfort in the Psalms maybe in this moment in my life than I do almost any other place in the Bible. The, the book of Psalms is the prayer book of the church. It, it gives language to uh, emotion. And so Psalms are, are never tidy. They're never uh, clean. They actually are uh, pretty raw. They're um, like journal poetry, I guess. Psalms help us, um, and they help me by giving me language. I... Um, I think I've learned about myself in the last number of years that um, I need help for my emotional vocabulary to expand. <laughs> I'm kind of like a, a one-trick pony in that sense. And the Psalms actually give us language. They expand. They give us permission to be sad or to be hopeful or to be joyful or to be angry, uh, to be afraid. They give, us, they give us language. And I think many of us, we need language especially if what I just said a few minutes ago about Jesus is coming, about you locking the door and him coming to the barn. If that's hard for you to wrap your heart around, it's not because it's not true. It's because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It's because we've been taught uh, from the time that we're like knee high to grasshoppers, not to admit it when we don't know what in the world is going on. Like we, we don't know how to say, I need you to gather up all things because I can't do it. And I think that's where David comes in, into, into play for us. I think that's where this poet, warrior, prophet, king is so helpful. So I'm just going to say three things to us today. Three things that I hope are going to help you get ready for Advent, which will get, help you get ready for Christmas. Number one, David says, I am poor and needy. We are poor and needy. Our world tells us not to believe this. Our world tells us that we need to fake it and not show vulnerability. Our world tells us that to be poor and needy means that we will be exploited. And so we pretend that we're not. We try to hide the fact that we are um, those who do not have what it takes to hold it all together. And so if you're here today and you think, I'm not holding it all together, I just want to say you're in really good company. David, in the first seven verses of this poem, says, I am poor and needy. He's in touch with his vulnerability, his finitude, his inability to hold it all together. And he says a number of things in these first seven verses that I think are just so helpful. He asked God to preserve him, which implies that he's worried that he won't be preserved. He asked God for grace, indicating that he has lack in his life, that he needs help. He asked God for gladness, probably because he's feeling sadness. And he asks for confirmation that God hears him because he needs to know that he's heard. He needs to know that God is able to listen. David is the king of Israel and he needs reassurance because he's able to acknowledge that he's poor and needy. And I think the first question for us as we prepare for the beginning of the Advent season, a time where Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years have lit candles and marked time and been more intentional with time than maybe at any other point in the year, we have to actually ask ourselves the question, are we able to acknowledge our vulnerability? Are you able to resonate with the statement? Let's get the we out of it. Are you able to resonate with the statement, I am poor and needy. Apart from an awareness, because I'll just tell you, like not acknowledging something or not being aware of something doesn't make it less true. This is statement of fact. 
And yet many of us, our families, our families don't promote this kind of level of honesty. Our families tell us to, you know, puff up and act, act right. And some of you are going to go home to, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're, you're, you already feel that feeling of like, I don't think I can be real there. Like I, I have to become someone I'm not there. David says I am poor and needy. It's my conviction that we won't begin to grow until we acknowledge that we just don't have what it takes, that we're small, that we aren't up to the task. That is very un-American. That is very countercultural. Even the church has bought into the lie that we're sufficient. Even, even the Christian culture in which we see, you know, out there in the, in, in the world, in the West, um, has bought into this lie that we have what it takes. And I just want to say you don't. Like, we don't. We're poor and needy. There's some kind of an invitation for us to get in touch with this inadequacy if we're ever going to be the kinds of people who look for Jesus' coming and actually welcome Jesus. And for me, this has been a huge, huge learning curve, like the most uncomfortable thing ever, like for me to be able to finally come to some places in my own life, and in some places as recently as in the last week where I've just been like, I don't have it. I, I can't pretend that I have something that I don't have. Maybe that's where God wants all of us to be. What does it look like for you to just stop striving? And I don't mean like lay down in your sin. That, that's not what I mean. I just mean like what would it look like if you stopped like spinning and pushing and striving and pretending that you're not poor and needy? Jesus came to the poor. And if I pretend that I'm not poor, if I pretend that I don't have a, a poverty in my spirit, that I don't know how to show up and do and be at times what I need to be and who I need to be in order to be met by God, if I pretend and insulate myself from that, if you do that, we miss it. We miss the whole point which is that Jesus comes to shepherds and he comes to people living on the Mars. He comes to the poor. He comes to people who know that they're poor and needy. And I just think that for many of us in this room, now is the time for you to stop striving and pretending like you've got it together better than you've got it together. Now is the time. Now is the time to say, I am poor and needy. What does it look like for us to agree with that statement? So what happens when we agree with that statement? The second thing here is we see that God is both transcendent and he is imminent. So David actually says these words. He says, um, I am vulnerable, poor and needy, and God is powerful and lovingly near. So here's where I think the magic happens. This is where, this is where God comes in. When I acknowledge that I'm poor and needy, God then, who is other, who is powerful, who is transcendent, comes close. Does anybody know the story of Moses and the burning bush? It's like one of the greatest hits of the Bible. Um, that story comes on the heels of Moses. Um, it's one of the stories in the Bible that's captured my imagination more than almost any other story, specifically in the Old Testament, because I think it's actually so powerfully true. So Moses is a child of promise. Um, 
he has a, a call of God on his life. And the call of God is to lead the people of Israel into freedom. And Moses is like intermittently aware of this calling. And as a young adult in Egypt, who was raised in, in the halls of power of Egypt, who's a Jew, he sees two uh, folks fighting. He kills one of them in order to kind of advocate for the Jews. He kills a, 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 an Egyptian and buries him in the sand and he gets caught. Um, his efforts to try to be somebody just go terribly wrong. So what does he do? He flees to Midian. He goes into the middle of the back end of nowhere and he has the worst scenario ever. He goes to work for the father of the woman that he marries. And so it's like the only thing worse than being unemployed is probably like working for your in-laws. You know, he's like out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, I think my in-laws and my parents were watching this on TV and I don't, not y'all, just other people. Um, and he's out there like feeling disappointed and discouraged and he feels like a failure. He feels like he tried and he got ahead of something and now he's just a mess. And he's tending sheep in the middle of nowhere and the Bible tells us that he sees a burning bush. And I love the language in the, in the Bible because the language actually implies that he could have walked right past it. It says Moses had to turn aside and look at this thing. And so... God in that moment is both other, fire, transcendent, and he's in, imminent, he's near. So he's different, but he's close. And God wanted to show Moses that because Moses had failed. He was poor and needy. David says, I'm, I'm broken, I'm a mess, I don't have what it takes, and yet, God, you come close to me. I believe that we have to begin to believe that it's in the acknowledgement of our poverty that God who is both other than us and near to us will show up. There is an invitation for you and me to name the thing that we refuse or hesitate to name so that we can see that God is both powerful and near, powerful and proximate. Now the challenge is that many of us believe one of those over the other. For some of us, God is like a powerful, distant, impersonal thing, you know, like the president or something. And you're just like, oh, there's power there, but I'll, I'll never know what that is. I'll never know that person. Or God is just super near to you, like your buddy, and yet you wonder if he really has anything he can say or do in your life. The key is learning to hold both of those together. David, in this space of need, is holding both God's power and his proximity and I believe that that requires that you and me will be the kinds of people who welcome God in, who believe that when we're poor and needy, he's going to move close to us. David actually uses this language. He uses language around um, God's uh, goodness and graciousness and loving kindness is toward us. And I think in my own life, as I think about getting ready for Christmas, as I desire to make the most of a complicated season, because Christmas for me is complicated, it's never as clean as like the, the songs make me want to think it should be. It's not as clean as your Instagram posts make it look like it is for you either. And so when that complication rears its head, I find myself getting nervous every year around this time. And I, and I hear God in this moment saying, I want to move toward you in that your poverty, I want to move toward it, but, and I have something to say about it. He's not just with you, he's powerful and with you. That's that's what David is trying to get us to see here. Advent is all about 
tending to our vulnerability, our finitude, as we anticipate God moving toward it. And that's leading me to the last thing I want to share with you, which is this. God turns toward us. He moves toward us when we experience difficulty. The last section in this psalm is all about David being in trouble. He uses a lot of language around adversaries rising up against him. He's like, this is, I'm in a mess. And then he says two things in the middle of the mess. I'm needy and God, you desire to help me. You, you desire to be near to me. David says in verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He says this in 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving maid. He brings God into his trouble versus believing God doesn't want anything to do with his trouble. Trouble's a part of life. Both the trouble that just happens because the world's hard and the trouble that we make worse because of our sin. Like, this is just the way it works. God's not aloof. If there's any message, uh, Emmanuel, that word means God with us. It means God's not aloof from us. He's not distant or far away or waiting for you to get your act together. What the Lord is asking us to do is acknowledge our poverty and then expect that he would move toward us. I believe the Lord wants to move toward you and me. But here's the thing that I'm aware of. The trials of life, either just the stuff of circumstances or the stuff made worse by your own sin in the circumstances. And that's kind of the way it works, right? Like life is hard and then we make it worse. I, I once had a mentor that said, Chris, there are times in life where you can't do anything to make a thing better, but if you're not careful, you can make it a lot worse. And we all know that. We, we live that way too much of the time, unfortunately. Um, what I believe the Lord is wanting us to see is that when we get into tight spots, that can either crush us or be the place where God turns up and begins to liberate us to acknowledge our poverty and believe that he moves close to us and that he has something good to say. So there's a reframing, I think, of our own pain. What is your trial saying to you? What is your pain um, shouting to you? Where is the invitation of God in this? I think for many of us, it's just time to stop wiggling, to stop pretending, to stop acting like we've got it together more than we do. God wants to move close to us. I, I am prone to insulate myself from my neediness. I don't like the way neediness feels in me. It scares me. But when I can begin to acknowledge my vulnerability, my brokenness even, my sin even, that's where God begins to move close. And I think that's what he wants to do for us. We've got a little bit over a month now to get ready for Christmas. We've got a little bit more than a month to actually be as real as we can around God wanting to enter into the dark places in your own life, in our, into our world. So here's the question I want us to hold before we come to communion. Where are you currently poor and needy? Is it possible for you to acknowledge your poverty and need without making an excuse? Where are you currently poor and needy? 
I believe that's the very place where God wants to come close to you, where Emmanuel, Jesus, wants to meet you. But first we have to acknowledge our need. So we're going to be still just for a few moments before we come to communion, and we're going to acknowledge our finitude in the hope of and in the light of the fact that Jesus promises to come. So let's just hold that question for a few moments, and then we'll come to this communion table.